All right, let, let, let's do this again, Tyler. Episode 12 of Believe in Queens, take two. We were about six minutes into recording a few minutes ago when uh, when things just went to shit on us. But let's do it. I'm Joe Serralo. That's Tyler Ward. We are stoked. The Mets just took four out of five from the Atlanta Braves. Bet your ass that's what this whole episode's going to be about. But we are missing someone, Tyler. Who are we missing, Joe? Uh, I got to read that name. Oh, Anthony Wrecker. That's oh, right. That that's right. Yeah. Our man Wreck not with us tonight. And, uh, you know, look, he ran it by us. We knew in advance that he wasn't going to be able to be with us tonight. By the time this show airs, it's Monday. You all might have seen him last night on TV with Bruce Beck. Um, so that's why Wreck's not here right now as we're recording. But, you know, we can't let him do this without giving him some shit. So obviously Bruce Beck is higher up than you or myself on Anthony Wrecker's totem pole. And then... Instead of, you know, maybe rushing back to do the show like I did, I woke up in Las Vegas today. I just spent a weekend in Sin City, but I drove back five hours through the desert. I got back here to do the show instead of Anthony Record extending the same courtesy to us that I extended to the show. He's having a date night with his wife in Manhattan right now. Could you imagine the nerve? A date night? A date night when the Mets just took four out of five from the Atlanta Braves. Tyler, I'm riled up. You know what? I understand where his priorities are, and that and that's okay. Uh, it's heartbreaking, actually. It, it's not okay. <laughs> it, it's an understatement, but you know what? We're gonna work through this. I'm we're, fucking we're... crushed. <laughs> I'm fucking crushed. If you see this, Anthony, I'm crushed. We'll, we'll have a lot to rag about with Anthony next time he's on the pod. That is for certain. But for right now, Joe, I think we have bigger tasks, bigger matters on hand. But we before do. we get into it all regarding the New York Mets and quite literally having one of the most dominant series you will ever see from this club. Let's get into today's sponsor. Let's do it. That was the most unnatural segue of all time, but that's what sponsors are for. Today's episode, just like every episode of Believe in Queens, is brought to you by our proud partners at BetOnline. Head over to BetOnline.ag and you can get the latest odds, lines, news, and developments in the world of sports. Go get those baseball bets in, guys. It is the home stretch. Juan Soto's a Padre. More importantly, Daniel Vogelback's a Met. And everyone, is right he is. <laughs> and everyone is gearing up for a playoff run. So get those bets in at Bet Online. You can bet baseball games every day. You can bet MLB futures. You can bet NFL futures, whether it's week one, whether it's divisional winners, Super Bowl winners. Get them in. BetOnline.ag. Use that promo code, Believe50. That's B-L-E-A-V-5-0. And get your first time 50% welcome bonus because of us here at Believe. Bet Online. Let the games begin. Tyler, let's get the show on the road, baby. I did not come back from Vegas today to have low energy, all right? I was out in Vegas for games two, three, four, and five of this series, and I made sure I watched every game except game one of the doubleheader because I was partying with Paulie D at a day club. So I think I had good reason there. That's, I mean, that's decent. Are You, you missed I, David I Peterson shoving, but other than that, you're okay. And he shoved. He fucking shoved. But you know what? I had I had songs to dance to. I had people to sweat on. I you know might have gotten monkeypox. Who the fuck knows? But <laughs> I made sure when Max Scherzer was on the bump, oh I was front and center at that sports book. And you know what I learned at that sports book? You can't fucking bet strikeout props at, at Vegas. I think more than anything, we should just have a meter of the amount of times you drop F-bombs in like a four-minute span, Joe. My goodness, talk about round up. You look like me when I'm normally on YouTube doing my post-game shows. I'm proud of you. 
little surprised, but I like it. And however, I am also surprised the fact that you can't do player props at what? At Bet M- MGM, you said? Uh, Bet MGM didn't let me. Then I went to William Hill the next day and they didn't let me. Uh, what does a guy got to do to get Max Scherzer over seven and a half strikeouts against the Atlanta Braves, the team that strikes out more than any other team in the National League? I feel what do I got to do? I feel your pain, Joe. I really I tried getting Robbie Ray Friday traveling. Night. You oh, can't I... bet in every state still. You know this, obviously, residing in Cali as is when it comes to mobile. <laughs> that's why, that's why I use that our major. sponsors at Bet Online. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but you know what's crazier, Tyler, is that, and, and this is kind of what pissed me off. First off, couldn't get a strikeout prop. So Friday night, really wanted Robbie Ray against the Angels over seven and a half, finished with 10. Yesterday, I wanted Scherzer, same deal, especially because his K numbers had been down in his past three starts. Remember, he was over the moon in terms of strikeouts. His first four starts off the IL. Last three, they came back down to earth a little bit. So the number was down to seven and a half. Braves strike out a ton. I wanted to hammer it. Couldn't. Went on my phone on the FanDuel app and on the DraftKings app. And get this. Apps are disabled in Nevada. You you can obviously it was a trap, Joe. It, I mean, it was a clear trap. You know, people, Vegas for the longest time was the only place you could legally bet on sports in this country, but you can't do it on a mobile app. It is ridiculous. Things you hate so, to see. But Joe, yeah. you know what we don't hate to see? The Mets winning four or five against the Atlanta Braves. Tyler. I'm surely feeling electric about that, Joe. Joe, be, before we deep dive all the nit and gritty, that was this phenomenal series for the Basins. What is your raw takeaway? From a Mets team that, again, I said in our last episode, entering this one, I expect the Mets to win four or five. Was there bias there? Absolutely. Of course there was. I also said that I hope the Mets could win around six of nine at minimum over this two-week stretch or whatever. They have a four-game set in Atlanta a week from now or so. All the Mets need is a two-game split in Atlanta to make my dream become a reality. Maybe it's even going to be better than that. So, Joe, what's your raw reaction from winning four or five against a team that's been nipping at the heels and that us Mets fans are supposedly been, have to be worried about this entire season? So let yeah. me hear it. Raw reaction. This is the most electric series the Mets have played in the regular season since their two second half series against the Nationals 2015. The first being the trade deadline sweep. We went into it, of course, down three games in the standings. Left tied. You had the Wilmer magic, the Cespedes, you know, propelling him. Grandy leading off Sunday night baseball with a home run. And then, of course, that Labor Day weekend series with the Nationals, the, the famous David Wright scoring and then getting up with the fist pump, right? This series is, to me, the most monumental, important series the Mets have played since those two in 2015. The reason I compare them to those two, especially against the Nats, because it's the team that we're supposed to be competing for in the NL East to win the division, the Atlanta Braves. The Nationals in 2015 were the favorites. We overtook them. This year, the Braves were the favorites. And... We overtook them. I know that's past tense, and I shouldn't use past tense, but we're up seven games in the loss column right now. The Atlanta Braves are closer to falling into third place in the NL East than they are to overtaking us for first place in the NL East. So yeah, we've overtaken the Braves. We are the team to be in our division, even though truly, Tyler, another raw reaction, I believe we're the best team in baseball. I don't think that's far-fetched. I really don't. You know, for me, I look at the Houston Astros. In my opinion, 
that is the only potential kryptonite. However, the Astros also didn't face a Mad Max Scherzer and a Jacob deGrom when we matched up those couple times. So keep that in mind. I look at the Yankees free-falling 0-5 over their last five. They get swept by the Cardinals. The Cardinals? We took care of the Cardinals. What a Jordan Montgomery and the Cardinals. Monty shuts them down over five scoreless. Hilarious in that one nothing loss for the Yanks. And look, we're not focused on the Yanks right now. You know, they're the other team in New York. The Mets are tied with them for the best record right now in baseball as 70 and 39. But I look at this series and you hit the nail on the head, Joe. This is without a doubt, in my opinion, I would even take it a step above that matchup in 2015 against the Nationals just because this was a five-game set. You get Mad Max. You get DeGrom. You even have the other pitchers. David Pearson looked like a stub. The only guy that didn't show up was Taiwan Walker. And even with Ty Gain Shell that we'll get into shortly here in the show, the Mets still had offense. They made a game of it. Darren Ruff, how you doing? His first base knock ended up being an opposite field two RBI double against the lefty. It's almost like Billy Upward made good offensive acquisitions by the deadline. Who would have thought? Bullpen we'll get into here shortly too. But my raw takeaway is this was, as a young fan like myself, age of 21, soon to be 22 in a couple weeks, this has to be the best series I've ever witnessed in the regular season for the Mets. There just really isn't anything to compare, especially being immersed in this Mets space now as a content creator, being your co-host here right now for Believe in Queens episode 12. There were just so many phenomenal takeaways and have Mad Max and Jacob DeGrom put up video game numbers, making these Atlanta Braves look no different than the single A clubs that you saw they faced in rehab earlier this year. I mean, how can you not feel electric about this Mets team? We are quite literally as a fan base at an all-time high and who knows, maybe, just maybe, things are going to get even better from here. You know, a lot of people have tried to say that the Braves can overtake the Mets because they like the Braves lineup more and the Braves have pitching that's comparable. Well, what do we see from those comparable pitchers? We saw Max Free lose to the Mets for the second time in a month. We saw Spencer Strider fail to go five (laughs) innings against the Mets for the second time in a month, this time failing to go three innings in what was the shortest start of his short MLB career. How about Spencer Strider and the way he conducted himself after the game? You know, you mentioned Taiwan Walker being the lone blemish in terms of Mets pitchers this series, right? Walker got shelled and Walker was accountable, right? Walker said everything right after that game and, you know, acknowledged that it's a five-game set. We have a doubleheader. The bullpen's going to be important. I put them in a bad position. I put the team in a bad position. Walker didn't say, oh, well, the umpire missed a call or, you know, so-and-so made an error. Spencer Strider, after the game, talking about, well, you know, when I make a 1-1 pitch and it should be a strike and instead the count's 2-1 when it should be 1-2 or when the Mets, you know, get breaks and get lucky on every ball they put into play. Whoa, 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 young buck. I know you're 23 years old, but Spencer, it's time to grow the fuck up. The Mets got you to throw 80 pitches in two and two-thirds innings. Grow the fuck up. I don't know if you need to shave the porn stash. Tyler, I stole that line from you, obviously. He he feels very namaste. He's got the 70s porn stash. He's got the hippie logo. He's he's vibing. I don't think he's used to this type of environment here in City Field. He couldn't handle the smoke. I don't expect him to continue to handle it. The Mets took care of him back in Atlanta. They took care of him here at home. What's going to change now? If he wasn't picking up on what the Mets did the first time around against him, I honestly, I got to say, before we get more into these games, I love this mindset. This is exactly how I want the Braves to think. You see Buck Walter out there making sure everyone and their mother in this Mets locker room takes accountability for their actions. You have the Braves out here. They're young stud and Strider gain absolutely shell 
held. And he's bl blaming, oh, you know, they got lucky. We'll see what happens in October. Buddy, you should be worried about the Philadelphia Phillies at this point, not even the Mets. Yes, we got that four-game stretch against you soon, which I'm ecstatic. I'm pumped up about Atlanta. Let's run it back again. But I just look at what Spencer's comments were here, and I'm wondering, how would Freddie Freeman feel about those remarks? You'd have to think. Ooh. It's almost like the Braves are not the same team in that clubhouse without their unsung hero, their unsung captain that they allow to walk, regardless of whose fault it was. Again, we won't go down that tangent. But Freddie, who's raking like 330-plus on the year. Matt Olson's a great player, don't get me wrong. But when you talk about the leadership aspects that come with someone like Freddie Freeman, you really have to wonder if those type of remarks would have been said without a problem in that locker room if Freddie was still an Atlanta Brave. That's did my you really did you really just go there? Did you I bring did up the true. X? You brought up the X. <laughs> the, the X is doing oh. just fine in LA. Emotional, but she's doing just fine. First off, the X's always do just fine in LA. <laughs> Tyler, you never bring up the X. You just brought up the X. It's true. The Atlanta Braves are in shambles. And you mentioned Buck Showalter. And I wasn't even going to bring up the X. I wasn't going to bring up Freddie. Oh, I, I wasn't going to go there. I want that, Joe. You went there. But when you look at Buck and the way he conducts his team and the way his guys act and talk after the game, and you look at Snicker, look, Snicker, give him credit. He has done a phenomenal job with the Atlanta Braves. Got his ring last year, deserves his propers. I think he's exceeded everyone in their mother's expectations since he took over at the helm in Atlanta. But right now, these Braves are in shambles. The Mets took it to every starting pitcher they faced this series. Even in the game we lost, Ian Anderson was knocked out before the fifth inning. Couldn't even get the damn win when the guy had an 8-1 lead. And Atlanta's three aces, the three guys who were supposed to compete with the Mets, keep Atlanta's rotation neck and neck with the Mets. Kyle Wright, Spencer Strider, Max Freed. They all got shelled. I mean, Freed, he didn't get shelled to the extent Strider and Wright did, but Freed can't go five innings against the Mets this year. It's amazing. The guy's dominated us for years. This year, he can't get out of the fifth. And it's what we talk about almost every episode, it feels like, you, me, and Anthony, about how the Mets are so good at working counts. You know, the best part of my drive home today, because it can be a long drive, Vegas to LA, five hours, desert, it can be tough. But for the first time this year, I was able to, I downloaded the TuneIn Radio app, and I was able to get Howie Rose calling a game. First time I've listened to Howie, because I got MLB TV now that I'm living out here. Obviously, the normal radio doesn't get the Mets. First time all year I listened to him. And listening to him narrate Jacob deGrom's masterpiece of an outing was just absolutely sensational. Getting to hear Howie's voice, that was one of the best treats I could have had all weekend. But, you know, you, you listen to Howie, and he's... First inning, you know, Brandon Nemo doing what he does best, working his ninth pitch of the at-bat against Spencer Strider. And, I mean, I didn't know he'd be out after two and two-thirds. I knew he wasn't going five at that point. But the Mets just really, I mean, they dominated Atlanta's best pitchers. And I am, for that reason, no longer afraid of the Atlanta Braves. I no longer see them as a threat at all this year. Ooh, see, that's that's a bold take, Con. Let's see if it pays off, right? Yeah, good. Let, let, let Braves Twitter hear that. Yeah, oh my exactly, God. exactly. Bunch of Here, bums that they are. Here's the thing about the Atlanta Braves. I have been in my ton so much this year, even when the Mets won their series in Atlanta, mm -hmm. because naturally, this is, again, a marathon, not a sprint. It's a 162 season. Mets have more matchups against the Braves. I knew how pivotal this week and a half, two-week span was going to be for both clubs. 
But when the Mets come out and win four or five, it's hard for you not to start to feel that confidence. If you're a Mets fan, if you're not finally riding this wave, you're never going to. And at this point, I don't know if I want you to. There's Mets fans that have been through hell and back with this team year after year that knows naturally you're going to have PTSD when they have a hot start. They think they're going to fall off the June swoon. Okay, July, they're surely not going to make it. Mets fans have been their own worst enemy. But at this juncture, we are now 110 or so games in the season. 31 games above 500, seven games up on the Braves in the loss column, and you're still going to have the same reactions that you've had earlier this year. No, I'm not buying it. It's time to ride this Mets wave. If you aren't now, you're never going to. And sayonara, I don't want you because I've been riding it since day one this year. I've been confident in this Mets club. Look, they look strong in their series split, like back in April or early May against the Braves for the first matchup. They were obviously strong that we saw there without a Jacob deGrom in that series in Atlanta. The Mets get Jake back. Jake does video game-like numbers, the best Jacob deGrom we could arguably we've ever seen. Better than Bob Gibson, ask even better than in 2021, the first half. Look, don't forget, remember that matchup that Jake had against the Nationals where he struck out quite literally every single hitter in that lineup. Other than that game, I think that this is quite literally the best Jacob DeGrom I've ever seen. And Joe, honestly, it depends on how you want to do the order for the show. But let's just start with the game we just witnessed today. Let's go backwards, then let's, then let's backpedal. We'll do exactly that, right? Because it makes sense. We're all Mets fans, baseball fans. You focus on what just happened, right? So let's focus on what just happened. Jacob DeGrom just casually went out after already having the series one under his belt. After the Mets scored a minimum of six runs in each of their first four games against the Atlanta Braves. Naturally, Mets fans clean myself we're like, please, for the love of all that is holy, give this man run support. It's happened all series. Can we get it here now? They actually get it. Jacob DeGrom, who was phenomenal, gets run support, guys. You see in the third, the Mets put up a four-piece. And as I said in my post-game show, what you love about four-pieces, it's a McDonald's. It's a happy menu, a happy meal menu. And that's what you got there with the Mets in the offense. Pete Alonzo, yes, I will say, if I'm a Brace fan, I'm going nuts over this, gets himself a two-RBI double, hits off the third base bag, Goes down the left field corner. You get two runs scored. Mark Hanna, how you doing? Who is not playing every day because Tyler Naquin has been an absolute stud and replacement for him. They've been balancing things while that is Buck. He gets himself a no-doubt gapper in the left to bring a couple more runs. Daniel Volgebach, who had a walk that and he is going first to home for the second or third time this year. I mean, everyone's watching Hoagie Vogie. And this man's rounding. You see Joey Cora from third yelling, Ron, bitch, run. He's going all the way down the home. <laughs> Ron, boys. You're feeling good about this Mets team. They're already four up. The Mets, you know, when they score four more runs, they're basically 60 and 16 this year, other than, of course, that loss that they had with Taiwan Walker on the bump for game two. But they were down 8 nothing and still had runs to make up for it in the end, so it wasn't like a huge blowout. The Mets, they got the runs. That's all they need for Jacob DeGrom, Joe. Because, again, locked in watching this game, Jake was simply unhittable. This man... 5.2. If you look at the stat line, he didn't watch a game. It does not give him nearly enough justice. He gave up one hit that bombed to Dancy Swanson and his day. Jake, who looked flawless, was probably the most pissed off man, rightfully so, because that's why he is the best of the best. Same thing with Mad Max Scherzer. Even if Max goes like eight strong, gives up one earned run. If that final run is what he gave up to end his outing, he's fuming. He's just not satisfied. And that's why these guys are simply on another level. Jake, however, strikes out 12, the nastiest slider. He starts out the game with a 102 heater right down the pipe, like no problem. Everyone's worried about his velo. Yeah, he's got it, and it's not an issue for him and his health. The slider's touching 96, Joe. 90 F in six. Relievers wish they could have a slider this disgusting. He's doing first 17 sliders he threw tonight, Joe. Swing and missed. 
Sweeney missed unheard of, had a perfect game going into the six in which he wasn't able to get the final out. Joel Rodriguez had a phenomenal day. You can break that down further, Joe. But my initial reaction from that game, the final game here for the Mets to get the offense and for Jacob DeGrom to come out and just simply wipe the floor with these Braves hitters. I can't say I'm surprised, but I am surely grateful. And I felt really blessed to be on this earth today, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I mean, that was just one of the most masterful pitching performances. Look, you know, I, part of me wishes I got to watch it, and I never do this. I never watch reruns of sporting events. Um, I'm going to go back and watch this game just to see it. But even listening to it on the radio, I mean, it was like, you know, getting, again, I said it before, getting to be able to listen to one Howie Rose game so far this year, to have it be this one, it's like hitting the lottery. Because Howie, no one could narrate what Jake was doing and paint the picture any better than Howie Rose, because I felt like I was at the stadium. I mean, you said it. 102 on the fastball, on a couple fastballs, struck out Olsen in the first inning, 102. 96 on the slider. Guys, Aroldis Chapman may have thrown a fastball, 106. Never threw a slider, 96. Never. 96 with Jake's sharp razor blade slider. That is quite literally unhittable. If you hit it, it's because you just blindly swung your bat and the ball happened to find your bat, not the other way around, and you're probably fouling it off. I mean. Like, best-case scenario on that pitch is a foul tip. 17 sliders that were swung on, like mentioned, Tyler. 17 sliders that were missed. How about this? 34% of Mets pitches, 34.1% to be exact, were swings and misses. That's the highest total <laughs> that MLB stats could find going back to 2008. I, I don't know if that stat was kept track of, uh, kept track of before 08, but no one since 2008 has produced, no team in a team effort has produced a higher swing and miss rate than the 34.1% the Mets turned in today with DeGrom, Joely Rodriguez, and yes, you're hearing this correctly, Cy Young candidate, Edwin Diaz. 19 strikeouts, Joe. 19 yeah. for a Braves team that, again, is what right around at first or just under first. The Dodgers and Braves have been flip-flopping for the most strikeouts. The Mets entering, this game, entering this game five. Literally 27th in baseball and strikeouts. So for all Braves fans out there crying on Twitter saying, oh, this offense isn't going to work come October. I'm sorry, but 19 strikeouts is surely not going to work in October either. So if I'm a Mets fan looking at this, I'm saying, you know what? At what point is it more than luck? When you put the ball in play, Mets yes. have right around 140 infield hits on the season. That's a good thing. doesn't matter if you have the hardest exit velo. If it's an out, it's an out. But when you get the ball in play, it gets teams in disarray. They make errors. The Mets are forcing defensive issues on a daily basis. And teams just don't know how to fathom this. They don't understand the small ball mentality and actually how to take advantage by running down the first baseline like no tomorrow. This Mets team is doing something that quite literally is unheard of in today's game in the age of 2022 in the MLB. And just such a great thing to see. They have this balance of the old school, new school. And I assure you, this type of offense will help propel them down the stretch. Unlike swinging and missing every effing pitch that you see, which is the Atlanta Braves. See how that's going to do for you down the stretch. I'd really like to see if you're going to get that 2021 magic. I'm going to go on a limb and say, I'm not a betting man when it comes to it. I'm really not. This Mets team right now, they're putting the ball in play. And naturally, when you put the ball in play and get ready for this, Joe, it might sound crazy. Good things tend to happen. I know. I mean, who would have who would have thought? Braves fans are still trying to fathom it. Let's see if they got any sleep tonight at the time we're recording this. I know I'm going to sleep like a baby because I'm the most confident I've ever been in this Mets team. 
Joali Rodriguez, who we ranted about time and time again. My Billy Fox is one of his biggest acquisitions at the deadline, was holding firm on Joali and saying, we're going to try to get him right. And I will say, while I am still not happy with those remarks, I am happy with Joali. We have ragged about him. I was surprised that he was still on the team at this juncture. Tommy Hunter was just put on the IL yesterday. Drew Smith will be coming back. Tyler's coming down the stretch in the bullpen. Mets have more moves to be had here internally. But Joali, in his longest outing in the 2022 season, Joe, he had his best outing of his entire career. Did you go 2.1 squirrels to come in for Jake, get the ground out without a problem? He gives up a base knock to Austin Riley. He gets four straight Ks and then a ground out for Andrianza there in the eighth without a problem. I mean, this was the best Joali I've ever seen. He commanded the strike zone beautifully, something that we haven't seen for the majority of the year. If Joali just has it right, man, the Mets may actually have something. And maybe Billy Big Bucks was just big-brained after all. I really hope that's the case because Edwin Diaz comes in the ninth, and he does what he did the entire series all year long. Strikes out the effing side. You know when you hear the trumpets and, again, the best. That video. Call. Can we talk about that video? Please, please, Joe. Expand oh, on my video. Goodness, that is one of the best things I've ever seen. By the way, did you see Pat McAfee tweeted out that video and was no, like, "No, was he juiced up? I bet he was, dude. So juiced. I'm actually, I can't wait to to watch his show today. Actually, and now that this is Monday when the show comes out, so watch yeah, his I'll show watch today. McAfee. Yeah, I'll and do it. I mean, he he's going to be talking about this. He's going to be talking about the Mets. And I know it's not really a baseball show, but I can't wait to see what he has to say about this because he tweeted out that video of Diaz, which shout out to the Mets internal team. That was an amazing video. They know what the hell they're doing, Joe. They're so they're good. Spot and, on. and McAfee tweeted that out and was like, wait, every this is every game? Like he comes out to this every game? I might have to see this in person. So oh. Pat McAfee might be coming to City Field. Yes, I tweeted at him saying August 12th, Tyler and I want to see you there for our Believe in Queens reunion. We'll see if he's able to make it on short notice. But my goodness, I mean, this is, you know, Edwin Diaz, you talk about walk-up songs, and they're great. I was telling you before we started recording, I'm a nerd for walk-up songs, right? How, I can, love you, how can you not be? I mean, you look at my college walk-up songs. I had a different one every year. I just, I love that shit, right? And Diaz is, is quite literally a national story. His, his entrance, his walk-up song, it's better than Enter Sandman for Mariano. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's better. It's better. I mean, <laughs> City Field, when the trumpets start playing, man, it's like, it feels like the beach club I was at yesterday in Vegas, the pool club, rather. Like, it feels like a party. It really feels like a party when Narco comes on at City Field. Uh, Edwin Diaz is, right now, if you had coming into this season, said, you know, which Met do you think will be a top two candidate for the Cy Young Award? It's Jake DeGrom. It's Max Scherzer. It's Edwin Diaz, guys. I mean, Sandy Alcantara, what he's doing with the Marlins is phenomenal. And I love Alcantara. I really do. I mean, the fact that he goes, you know, expects to go nine innings every time he steps out there, that he's gone seven, eight innings so many times this season. It's a lost art in baseball. It's toughness. It's onions. I love it's it. Onions. It's onions. <laughs> I love it. But Edwin Diaz, what he's doing, I mean, putting up strikeout numbers that have never been rivaled in the history of the game. He deserves serious consideration for the Cy Young Award, not just reliever of the year, which is on lockdown. Sorry, Helsley. I know you've got a great ERA in St. Louis. You're not the NL reliever of the year. It's Edwin Diaz. He deserves serious Cy Young consideration. 
it's crazy that we're having this talk and it's not just filled with bias. Like there's actually numbers to back it. I've been someone that was when it's been approaching me as soon as last episode that we recorded, I wasn't, I wasn't buying it, but you know, if Edwin just continues to do what he does, gets a good amount of innings, which buck is going to be more and more reliant on him down the stretch in the in tight games against the next matchup against the Braves. You got the subway series, right? That's always a big one. You got the Dodgers here in August. There's still some big series to be had here before the 2022 regular season concludes. So for all those reasons, as long as Edwin continues to be Edwin, which I fully expect him to, I have the utmost trust in this man, which is so refreshing to say. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. There actually is some substance behind the idea that Edwin can be considered as this year's Cy Young Award winner. But Joe, we looked at this game. It was a 5-2 dub. Phenomenal stuff by Mets in Game 5. Fitting that they got five runs in their fifth game here to win 4-5 or five overall. But let's pivot back now to the games prior. A massive doubleheader. Just like Sunday, it was like a sold-out crowd all day long, which was great to see there for all Mets fans. And game two, Max Scherzer does exactly what Max Scherzer does. I'm not surprised that he shoved against the Braves. He did it last time he matched up against them in Atlanta. Gave up that bomb. Then the Mets got right back after that. Let's not forget Luis Urme got his, like, what, second or third bomb of the year. It was ridiculous. I remember that moment like it was yesterday. But Max comes out against the Braves and does exactly what every competent Mets pitcher has done this entire series and strikes them the hell out left and right. He goes seven shutty, gives up four hits, has himself 11 Ks, Scherzer on the year with a 1.98 ERA has a season high 108 pitches without a problem. He struck out the side in the seventh inning. That's how dominant Max was. And they got the runs to back it for sure. I mean, talk about jaw dropping Max Scherzer. There's no denying even with a guy that missed some time on the IL this year, easily the best offseason acquisition free agent signing the Mets have had in their 60 year history. He's a guy that people are already arguing. Is this guy underpaid? Look, he was phenomenal <laughs> during his time with the Nationals. He was the first pitcher to sign a multi-hundred million dollar deal and actually own up to it and be worth every penny. Uh, as long as he stays healthy, there's nothing to make me think otherwise with this three-year stretch with the New York Mets. So, Joe, what's your take on this absolutely massive 6-2 win here at Game 4 against the Braves? I mean, how about 108 pitches from Scherzer, season high, 80 of them strikes. I mean, the <laughs> guy is just, you know, there's a difference between control and command right? Control is throwing strikes. Command is throwing the ball wherever you want, whenever you want, in any count, any pitch. And Scherzer has better command. Scherzer and DeGrom have better command than anyone in baseball, right? Scherzer was putting the ball wherever he wanted it, dropping strings, throwing heaters. I mean, the guy was sensational. Like you mentioned it, man, uh, being stretched out in his longest outing of the year and striking out the side in his final inning. My Goodness, he was just absolutely sensational. You know, the bullpen was overworked early on in the series. Taiwan Walker's start on Friday night obviously threw him for a loop. And Scherzer knew what he had to do. He had to go deep. And man, he, he did it. He did exactly what he needed to do. And he stepped up for his team. It's what leaders do. It's what future Hall of Famers do. Man, this guy is so damn good. But I will say, big takeaway for me, and I know he gave up a run at the end, Trevor May, I thought. The yeah. home run happens, you know, home runs happen, whatever. I thought Trevor May looked really good. And, and I, I feel like he's looked good. A little shaky in that Nationals outing. I wasn't sure. He was throwing a lot of change-ups. And I even texted you. You were at that game. And I was like, yep. dude, is this his fastball? Because they were actually showing on the board at National Stadium. They were his change-ups, he said. Yeah, they, just yeah, had they were showing 87-mile-per-hour fastball at Nationals <laughs> Park. And so I was concerned. And then yesterday he hit 97. And I was like, ah, that's Trevor May. Uh, so he looked great. And, you know, it takes us to Michael Givens. You know, right now, the bats that Billy Big Bucks acquired at the deadline, 
all look sensational. I'm still a little annoyed that they didn't address the bullpen. Uh, Michael Givens, you know, I don't care if he was our biggest, you know, deadline relief pitching acquisition. If Givens keeps going the way he's going, he's going to be left off a postseason roster because Trevor May is back. Tyler McGill is coming back. Uh, Michael Givens. Uh, Drew you know, Smith can't even forget about Drew. What's he going to bring when he returns from the well, injury list? We'll see. Cause yeah, he hasn't yeah. been great. You know, he wasn't great lately at the end there, but, uh, there. but Givens is, I don't know if there's going to be room for him. You know, luckily we gave up nothing to get him, but he, he's a guy who I'm really concerned about outside of that, man. <laughs> this team just looks so damn good. So damn good. And the third inning was the best thing for the Mets in so many games against for Jake and for Max. The Mets poured it on with three runs that we saw there in the third and in the heart of it all throughout the the majority of these games was Pete Alonzo. I mean, the Mets at the top of the order had the guys going. You had Alonzo with a three for four game here in game two, the doubleheader. We'll get to game one in a second, but you had Francisco Lindor with a three for four game. Both of them having RBIs apiece. They both stepped up big time. And the Mets, they had the bats to come up clutch. But for me, the biggest takeaway outside of Max and Trevor May was how clutch the Mets were with their pinch hitting. And this is what I'm going to segue into here shortly, even though we're going to break down the numbers further. Tyler Naquin. Coming up to just add insult to injury to get that absolutely clutch pinch hit opposite field RBI double. He gets single, I should say. He turns it into a double with his only his fourth stolen base of the year. Great base rain awareness by him. A ground out or a fly out gets in the third. And then Tomas Nino, who leads the entire National League in sacrifice bunts, puts on a suicide squeeze to Brandon Naquin. He scores a run. Mets tack on another that we would see there, which would just be absolutely not so important for them, in my opinion, to get that second run there in the eighth. And then the Mets just cruise. He gave up that bomb. Willem Contreras, who cares? Hits that bomb there in the ninth, and the Mets secure the dub. But yeah, Tyler Naquin was a big takeaway for me, Joe. And I got to go on a quick rant in a positive manner. You know, we in our last episode, we asked, Rec asked, you know, Joe, me, what would be our biggest factors, in our opinion, for the Mets to secure this series victory in this five-game set? And I told you, I'm looking at Darren Ruff. I'm looking at Tyler Naquin. I'm looking at Daniel Volgaback. These are all key acquisitions for the Mets that, when utilized properly, can very well be big X factors for a Mets in a five game set where you need depth. You need everyone playing. Buck loves to shuffle these guys. The Mets are the oldest team in baseball. So you need to make sure that these guys stay fresh. Don't get too worked. And that's exactly what happened. You know, we're going to get into exactly what happened shortly, but Tyler Naquin was phenomenal. A 444 average in this series, two bombs that I'm so pumped up to discuss three RBIs, four runs scored in a stolen bag. Daniel Volgaback with a 333 average for bringing Volgaback baby What a bomb. Two RBIs, two runs scored, and three walks. Vogelback's eye on the plate is ridiculous. Guys, keep in mind that Daniel Vogelback was literally right under Juan Soto entering the Mets when it comes to his plate discipline. He's simply phenomenal. He's so much better than people seem to realize. Then Darren Ruff, who looked really solid this series as well, 272 average in this matchup, three RBIs, two, uh, a double, and a run scored. So these offensive acquisitions are the least of the Mets' problem. Again, that bullpen still the question mark, but there's no one that can deny that these guys are not just playing out of their mind right now for the Mets, but Buck is utilizing them exactly as they should. That's the difference between evaluating a guy and thinking, oh, this was a bad trade because he has a 220 average and realizing that he's never going to perform at a 220 clip. Yes, Joe, because they're going to be balanced on facing righties, facing lefties, pinch hitting. Mets have the depth right now, and that's going to be huge for them down the stretch as they enter the postseason. But Joe, any final takeaways here from this game too, before we jump to game one? 
You were right. That was me. I was that guy after, after the Vogelback trade. I was, <laughs> I was annoyed. All right, you got me. No, man. I mean, it was just, you know, you're right. And it all comes down to Buck. And I was even going to say this before you went into how he's utilizing these acquisitions. I was going to say it when you mentioned Nito and the suicide squeeze. It, it just, it all always comes back to Buck. I mean, the way he has these guys mentally, the way he's, you know, making in-game decisions and managing. Don't tell me that the manager does not matter anymore in baseball. Don't tell me that these front office nerds, uh, you know, who do the analytics and are really good at making Excel spreadsheets are the one, <laughs> are the ones that are that are making the calls and that they're more important than managers. I'm sorry. At the end of the day, they can chime in. They can give their advice. At the end of the day, you need a guy who has lived around the game, who knows the game, and who has a set of balls to be in that dugout making a decision. Buck Showalter is that guy. Aaron Boone's not that guy. Sorry, I'm taking a dig out of left field on this one, but Aaron Boone's not that guy. As I'm watching on SportsCenter right now, him getting ejected against St. Louis while the Yankees get swept. It's like Aaron Boone is not that leader. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's got you know a great managerial record because he's got great talent and a great lineup every year, right? Buck Showalter's that guy who's going to get the job done because every decision he makes ends up being the right one. I mean, how many bad decisions has he made all year? Two, three at most, all year. And, and they're arbitrary bad decisions, like bringing in Nagosik after DeGrom in his first start back. You know, I mean, it's like Buck Showalter, everything he seems to do is the right move. And he's just, he can't miss so many things, so many successes of this team, smaller individual successes, like the Nito Bunt like the way Ruff and Vogie have been used. They just, they all lead back to Buck. And talking about leading back to Buck, the biggest one of them all, and I'm always forgetting about this man name, I apologize, but there's been an X factor for the Mets this year when it comes to decision-making, and that has been doing challenges and winning challenges. The Mets are far and away the best team in baseball this year on not just going for challenges, but winning them. They won it again today yeah. at the time of recording this, but somehow they still call Nimmo out at second, which was the most blown call. I, I still can't understand that. You win the challenge, but nothing changes. Okay, I guess I understand, but I don't. But what I do know is that Buck has been a simple mastermind and his entire Mets coaching staff knowing when is the appropriate time to make challenges. They're doing it for even just legging out singles down the stretch. And you might think, oh, what's even the point? But you've got to understand, you winning that challenge can automatically sway the direction of a baseball game. It can throw off a pitcher. It can make a pitcher think that he's going to have a quick inning to gain grinded out of the 20-plus pitchers. There's so many factors as to why it's smart to challenge as much as humanly possible as long as you feel confident in the decision making nine and a half out of ten times bucks winning that challenge and there's no denying that that has been a huge x factor for this Mets team in many moments not just throughout the season but also in this brave series that surely didn't help them that we saw but as we pivot now to game one joe David Pearson, who we were kind of hoping originally that we discussed, would come out as a lawn reliever after Trevor Williams assumedly gets a start here in game one of the doubleheader. However, Williams, that we'll discuss here shortly, had to eat the brunt of it, had to really bite that bullet when Taiwan Walker couldn't even go past an inning for the Mets in game two of this series. So naturally, Williams not available. Pearson was still expected to get the start. And David Pearson was just an absolute stud. He continued to do so well against the Braves. And let's not forget, when he pitched against the Braves in Atlanta, Joe, he was absolutely soaring. He was a strikeout machine, making these hitters look silly, especially the right-handed batters. Slider down and in. How you doing? Sayonara, you're out of here. It wasn't until that Dansby Swanson blown call that still bothers me somehow. All the blown calls this year, when yeah. it, they called it a ball, when it was a clear strike in the zone. He got to walk. 
Then Matt Olson grinding out of bat, and David throws a hander right down the pipe. Olson makes sure he doesn't miss it. That's a two-run bomb that ends Pearson's day in Atlanta, which was unfortunate. But what was fortunate was David rebounding here against the Atlanta Braves, going 5.1 scoreless, gave up three hits, gave up three walks, five strikeouts at 81 pitches. But he's just been a bulldog for the Nets, man. Talk about a blessing in disguise. If you would have told me that David Pearson will be pitching pivotal games for the Mets, in August, against the Atlanta Braves, going for the Analyst, I would have said, I don't know what you're smoking, but it has to be something good. And thankfully, he has surely stepped up. So, Joe, what's your reaction to David Pearson? And then, you know, we, we had a wishy-washy bullpen, to say the least, in this one. A lot more inconsistent than you would have hoped it would have been in this uh, in this Mets win, no less. Yeah, I mean, look, Peterson's been nails. That, that, that's what it comes down to, right? And thankfully, you know, the game was nine innings and not 12. Because if it was a 12-inning game, maybe the bullpen would not have been able to hold on. But Peterson was nails, gave us almost six strong. You know, look, his biggest issue all year has been, you know, sometimes losing the strike zone and his inability to go deeper into games. But he did what we needed, five and two-thirds. I'll take it from a guy who was just sent down to AAA, a guy who doesn't know his role on this team, if he's going to be used out of the pen down the stretch, if he's going to be a spot starter. I'll take what he gave us. That was a gutsy, resilient performance from Peterson. I love it. Yeah, the bullpen struggled. Lugo got touched up for the first time in a while. Adovino got us through a shaky inning in a third. At the end of the day, the trumpets blared. Diaz came in. It was good night, Atlanta. Uh, Yohan Lopez, I don't want to see him the rest of the season. But And you you were the biggest Yohan Lopez. What happened? I mean, what happened? He sucked. And a third of an inning and three earned is what happened. You know, I got a short memory. I'm a, I'm a thankless son of a bitch when it comes to this stuff. You know, one day I love you. The next day it's like, see, you have fun in Syracuse, but there's nothing to do. Uh, but yeah, David Peterson was just resilient as hell. And, you know, his big thank you from the Mets, of course, was an option down in AAA right after the game, as was expected. Um, but that's just the business. He, he did his job. I think David Peterson is going to be part of their opening day five-man rotation uh, next year. I mean, I think he's earned it with what he's done all season long as essentially, you know, it's like having a job where you're working on call. You know, Peterson's there when the Mets need him and when they don't, he's gone. And, you know, that, that can be a really tough way to, to perform at a high level, to play a professional sport, not knowing your role, not knowing when you'll be in the bigs, when you'll be in the minors. And Peterson just, he hasn't complained as a starter. Like I said, 3.1 ERA, obviously a couple shaky bullpen outings, but you know, he is a starting pitcher at heart. And he's really just done wonders for the Mets this year. To say he's taken, you know, full advantage of the opportunities given to him this year is quite the understatement, right? David's yeah. done a phenomenal job. And something that wasn't phenomenal, however, in this Mets win, which again was still big, eight to five. They had 13 hits to the Braves, 12, but the Mets had a 351 expected by an average. The Braves were just under 300. Mets were playing the ball and play like crazy against Jake Odorizzi, their trade deadline acquisition that I fully expect the Mets to take advantage of, as was. Francisco Lindor but before I get there Seth Lugo who's been looking better as of late had another clunker of an outing and just further tells you why we feel so up in the air about Seth Lugo this year we don't know what to do with this man he yeah. gives up two earned runs in just over an inning. You see Adam Adovino going 1.1 scoreless. Why? Because Adam is an absolute beast. Gave up three hits, two strikeouts, no earned runs. Yona Lopez couldn't get the job done, so he had to throw Edwin back in there, which was so frustrating after he already had such a lengthy series to begin with in game one that we'll get into a little bit in the show before we wrap things up. But man, oh man, this bullpen, I mean, on full display of inconsistencies, that was at the helm with Seth Lugo and Yona Lopez. Lopez, of course, will not be with the Mets. We're aware of that. 
Logo, however, is a guy that we don't know what to take away. One day he's making the Yankees look absolutely stupid left and right. The next, he's really a game blown up against the biggest opponent for the Mets right now in the Atlanta Braves in the NL East. So it's like, which one do you weigh more of? It's, it's hard to evaluate with Lugo. I don't know exactly how much he's going to have a leash down the stretch, but again, he needs to be better. He needs to be more consistent. That's something that I've been asking for quite literally since day one of this 162 season. But what has been consistent this entire series was this Mets offense. Again, putting up an eight-piece without a problem. They got themselves three runs to earn on Jake Odorizzi, but they jumped on Tyler Matzik. They jumped on Bryce Elder. They took advantage of a lackluster bullpen. That was the case for the Braves in this matchup. And who was in the forefront of all? It was Francisco Lindor, three for four with two runs scored. This shy, literally <laughs> what felt like a hair shy of a dead center three-run bomb. It ended up being, unfortunately, just a two-RBI double. But Lindor had a phenomenal outing. Had himself three RBIs in this matchup, as a matter of fact. The Mets got a couple runs early in this one. They tacked on another in the third. Then they tacked on those two more in the sixth. And then three more in the seventh, even though the Braves scored two in the top of the seventh. Didn't matter. The Mets got the runs right back and even with the Braves trying to make a valiant effort scoring three runs on Lopez in the ninth Edwin Diaz comes in he gets the job done and that's how the Mets win that one I mean just offensively it was an absolute clinic and the Mets again for them to put up total before we get to the final two games that start off this series they put up 31 runs in five games the Braves put up right around 22 I mean the Mets were just a better offensive team and more than anything consistently when needed they came up with the home run power too they beat the Braves out their own game and didn't have over a dozen strikeouts consistently the same way that the Braves have had so every takeaway that you look from the Mets here in this game it's been huge Daniel Vogelback came up clutch he got himself a nice RBI single was one for two and this game one of the doubleheader Darren Ruff went one for two looks strong Tyler Aquin didn't do anything but that's fine Jeff McNeil had a big game two for five with an RBI McKitts now has 10 straight games without at least a hit you love to see that for McNeil had a six with multiple hits in that stretch. Six with multiple hits. That's actually nuts. So, I mean, he's definitely been looking like the Jeff McNeil that we've seen more consistently throughout the year. And the Mets just got the job done here in game one of the doubleheader. And that was a huge, it was huge for the Mets to make that statement to sweep the doubleheader for the second time they've done that against the Braves this year. Because when we go to game two for the entirety of the series, Joe, Taiwan Walker, my goodness, Ty, what happened? I give him all the credit in the world. He was accountable. He did not make any excuses. There was concerns. Was Ty hurt going into the series? Because he didn't look comfortable. His pitchers were flat, and he was getting absolutely teed on left and right. And Joe, mm -hmm. as someone that's been a lover of Ty, I got to know, what was your initial reaction to see him just get absolutely pieced up? Far and away, the worst start he's had. Not just this season, but probably his worst start as a New York Met. Yeah, I mean... Definitely his worst start as a New York Met. You know, th this is tough because I wasn't able to watch this part of the game because I was driving to Vegas. I got there in like the fourth inning. So, you know, I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll get to see the last two or three innings of Ty. I didn't get to see any of Ty. Um, so, you know, I don't know if he was hurt. I saw something on Twitter. I was reading, did he catch his cleat? I don't know if you tweeted that or someone else did and you liked it. And that's why it popped up in my feed. But I saw something about maybe him catching his cleat. Or maybe something about a hamstring. Oh, I believe what what happened is in the game was he spiked a pitch. You okay. know that that was that was the big thing. So people were wondering if he was hurt because again he gave up eight earn in one inning. He couldn't yeah. even get one yeah, out one in the plus. second. Yeah, I mean, and you know, uh, and for me as, as as a former pitcher, right? Like the first thing I'm curious is was, was he tipping his pitches? Was he doing something right. that he didn't even know? Um, and Atlanta, you know, knew what was coming. 
Makes me um, think of Miguel's start against the Nationals a couple months ago. Right. Gave up like that eight piece. I thought right. he was tipping exactly. pitches right away. A yeah. thousand percent right. Exactly. So that's what I'm thinking. Was he tipping pitches? I'm really curious to see what he does against Cincinnati. Um, because, you know, Cincinnati is a team he should go out there and shove. They sold at the deadline. They're not in it for anything. Um, you know, don't be fooled by them beating up on Milwaukee. Milwaukee is going in reverse, right? The Milwaukee Brewers had a horrendous deadline. Uh, I don't know what the hell that they were thinking, but they didn't buy, you know, what they needed to. They sold on Hater. I don't care what he did in July. They sold on, you know, their, they, they lost that trade. I mean, I know that they got prospects and whatnot, but if you're trying to win now, they really lost that trade. So Milwaukee's going in reverse. I'm not looking too far into Cincinnati beating up on them this weekend. The Mets should have a cakewalk, right? At least two out of three because it's hard to ask for a sweep, but they should sweep them. So I'm just really curious to see what Ty does against the Reds now. Game three of that series, day game on Wednesday. Uh, that'll be that, That'll answer a lot of questions for me surrounding Ty. But you know what? Two big bright spots in this game. And I know, you know, it's hard when you're down 8-1 early on to, to find a bright spot, but let's find two big ones. You mentioned him before, Trevor Williams. He and the bullpen were absolute nails. Trevor came in expecting to pitch game one of the doubleheader with Peterson. Instead, gets thrown in on the spot last second, was not expecting that, was not prepared, was not ready for it. And he came in and he pitched four innings of shutdown ball. Give him all the credit in the world. And then give the lineup credit. Because even though... They didn't, you know, they weren't able to come back and finish the job and overtake the Braves in that one. The lineup was sensational in getting Anderson out in the fourth or in the fifth inning after four and two thirds, beating up on that bullpen and helping the Mets ultimately win the final three games of that series by exhausting the Braves pen. That was that, that's what you have to do against these Braves, right? They've got good starting pitching, but if you get those guys out early, get to their pen, that's how you're going to beat them. And the Mets exhausted the bullpen and beat up on the bullpen of the team that had the best bullpen ERA in baseball coming into this series. So two big bright spots, you know, as big of a blemish as this was on Ty's season, his ERA, which was in the mid twos, shoots up to the mid threes, not indicative at all of the season he's had, but that's the game. As big of a blemish as it was, two big bright spots, the lineup beating up on that bullpen, the fight that they showed, and then the bullpen being nails in this one. The Mets made a statement. You know, I tweeted when the Mets were down 8 nothing that, look, this game feels like a wash, but at the same time, never count the Mets out. All I hope is that for the Mets' offensive sake, that they don't get shelled. Let's see how they can rebound, because it's not an easy thing to do. When we think about the Mets in the month of June, right, they were getting blown out some, a lot of, it felt like at least one game every series, right? And when that was happening, they really struggled to get a consistent offense going. It felt like that they were almost shell-shocked and just couldn't rally around. But here, it was a different story. The Mets were able to put up a six-piece. Yes, the Braves would eventually score nine here, but you look at the Mets in the uh, fifth inning, they score four runs, and Darren Ruff making his Mets debut again against a lefty, which was massive, and Dylan Lee, and they're able to execute here, gets himself a near, just shy of an opposite field three-run home run. However, he does get two RBIs with an opposite field double. How you doing, Darren Ruff? Thank you so much for being New York Met. Loving this guy to death already. And look, the Mets, you get Ian Harrison out in less than five. He gives up four earned. They have to bring in Dylan Lee. They have to bring in Colin, Colin McHugh. They have to bring in A.J. Minter. They have to bring in Rysel Glacius, their trade deadline bullpen acquisition, and Kenley Jansen. All of that when you had an 8 nothing yeah. lead? Yeah. By all means, I'm satisfied if I'm a Mets fan. I'm sure if I'm a Braves fan, you're like, damn, that is not how we were supposed to have this game go. We should have had it on lock. 
from the beginning. However, we got the Braves on their toes a little bit, and that held true to the Mets winning their final three games of that series. But nothing more that I think we need to hop on from this loss because let's talk about how this series started and what was another fine performance, another quality outing from Carlos Carrasco, Joe. Yeah, the Mets just set the tone in this one. You know, Cookie looked untouchable through five, got into a little trouble in the sixth, but still a quality start, six innings, three earned from Cookie. He's been, you know, lights out for the better part of, you know, five, six weeks at this point. He's been great. I mean, the bullpen, you know, they came in, Diaz with the six out save. My goodness. Ridiculous. Absolute jaw dropping. He set the tone. Game one of this series. And it's funny because on Twitter, Braves fans are like, oh, Buck's treating this like it's the playoffs. Come on. No, (laughs) this series, we've said it before. I'll say it again. This series was a playoff-esque series. And what do you want to do in the playoffs? You want to freaking win game one. And to do that. When Atlanta had a guy out there who has 13 wins on the year, who is part of their trio, right? And we had a guy who, yeah, now he's got 12 wins, but no one even talks about him when they talk about the top three pitchers on the Mets who all year long have been Scherzer, Ty, and now unhealthy DeGrom, right? Cookie's like an afterthought despite his 12-4 and four record. Well, Cookie went out there. He outpitched Wright. Wright was left in way too long because Snicker didn't want to go to that bullpen so early. And instead, he got six innings of six earned out of his starter. I mean, the Mets offense set the tone. Naquin, two homers. Vogie, homer. Diaz, just six dominant outs. And, I mean, you know, it was it was the ultimate tone setter for how, at the end of the day, the, the whole series would go. It was beautiful baseball, man. Joe, I was losing my shit. When I saw Alonzo and then Vogie, I was like, oh, my God. Naquin, yeah. not just with one, but two, hitting from both yeah. sides of the field. This really pumped me up, especially about Tyler, because when the Mets originally acquired him, you saw him in his first matchup right against the Marlins. He went 0 for 4 in that game, was just shy of a home run to right that he was pulling. However, you saw him hit his first two outs for deep fly balls to left, and I was like, I put on Twitter, I was happy. Naquin's got some nice pop in his bat. Some surprise pop can really hit for opposite field. Now, of course, it didn't amount to home runs. But again, you see there, his second home run in this game was down off speed out of the zone that he just poked, and it still went all the way out for Oppo. I'm like, yeah, he's got pop against righties, man. Exactly. He, it was just phenomenal to see. It gives the Mets more depth. They don't even need to be as reliant as they've been to a certain extent with Marcana only going two or three games. I love the fact that Buck can just now ride the hot hand, ride the best matchup on a daily basis. And that was full-fledged on the scene here. And this Mets series winning four or five against the Atlanta Braves. And to say we're excited about their next matchup in Atlanta is an understatement. The Mets get shelled and by all means, we'll eat our words. We'll digest that. We'll deal with it then. But until then, I'm feeling unbelievably electric about this Mets team, Joe. And now we have a matchup that's coming up, right, starting tonight at the time of recording this against a Cincinnati Reds team without a Luis Castillo, without a Tommy Pham, without a Tyler Naquin, and also without <sighs> a Brandon Drury, who was our biggest bopper this year. So I don't think we have to say much about this series. It's the same way that we felt against the Nationals. They should have swept the Nats. They didn't then. However, you face the Reds, Joe, and – Anything less than a sweep, it's a, it's a disappointment. It, it seriously is. It is. It, it is, especially when you look at the pitchers the Reds are running out. Justin Dunn making his 2022 MLB debut. Yes, he's played parts of three pro seasons with the Mariners, but hasn't been at the big league level yet this year. Shocking, considering Cincinnati's lack of starting pitching. He's going game one, so the former Met prospect. I actually, ironically, we were talking about this before we started recording. This shirt that I'm wearing right now is the uh, 2016 Train to Rain shirt. I bought it at a... Spring training that year, cut the sleeves off like a douche, but you know, I am so <laughs> if the shoe fits. Um, but I actually that same spring training 
got Justin Dunn's autograph back when he back when he was a prospect. I was excited wow. about him. Um, you know, him for Diaz. I'll go back and make that trade 10 times out of 10 and not even think twice about it, looking at what Diaz is doing right now. But Dunn going against the Mets makes you wonder a little bit if he's going to be juiced up, look for a little revenge. I don't know. It's not like, you know, there were any bad terms there. Uh, I just think the Mets are going to keep rolling. They got Dunn on his first MLB start. They got Mike Miner with his, uh, I think his ERA is my birthday, 619. Uh, not, you know, great birthday, not a good ERA. And then Wednesday, we don't even know who the Reds are running out there. Hunter Green just went on the IL. He was slated to start That's Wednesday. unfortunate. Hunter Green, um, he, he's, he's a lot of fun I love to that watch. kid. I, lo- yeah. I don't care what his ERA is. I yeah. love that kid. I think he's got incredible potential. Uh, so, yeah, so you're dealing with a guy who's making his first MLB start, a guy whose ERA is over six, and you don't even know who they're going to run out there Wednesday. So, yes, while I'm always hesitant to say anything shy of a sweep, I'd be disappointed. I was disappointed when we didn't sweep the Nationals. So, yeah, same sentiment here with this series. Yeah, got Seabass game one, you got Cookie game two, and you got Ty game three. And I love that. I think this is huge for Ty. Let's see, one, how he's feeling physically, if there are any visible ailments, and two, this has to be a rebound game for Ty more than anything, right? You know, you get shelled against a big team in the Braves. I expect you to come back and be better. Give me give me six, seven strong, Ty. That's what I want. Hopefully we get it. Cookie, Seabass, I, I don't. I expect, you know, normal stuff from them. And I think the Mets are going to continue to ride high as they continue to get closer to wrapping up this homestand. But for me, there's two big things I'm watching in this series personally. One is Tyler Naquin. One, how much is he going to play? I expect him to start at minimum one of three games, if not two of three. Especially when Naquin, again, has this familiarity against a depleted Reds team, was just with them not even two weeks ago. I love his chances of taking advantage against his former club. I think that almost feels like a guarantee, a true certainty. And I'm also looking at this Mets team again. This is where you need to continue to take advantage. Yes, we have seven games up on the Braves in the last column, but you do not sit back and relax. Now you keep pushing. You continue to go forward. Again, the fact that they lost that first DeGrom start was as ridiculous as is. You can't allow that now, regardless on if it's Seabass, Cookie, or Ty right now on the bump. And I'm also looking at more than anything Michael Givens for two things. One, Givens was a former Red, was a Red with them last year, looked really well, was very strong for them. This year, faced the Reds a bunch, and the NL Central being with the Chicago Cubs for Givens that had a squirrel sending and then had a shaky inning in this Brave series. I expect him to hopefully get some opportunities and really just try to take advantage get comfortable, a lesser opponent, couldn't do it when he's thrown to, thrown into the fire right away, and not even a 24-hour span against the Nationals in which I was in attendance at in D.C. Let's see if he can do better here, and I really think that this is a nice type of way for him to get further acclimated in the Mets space against a lesser opponent that wasn't, again, within a 24-hour span of arriving with the club. So those are kind of my things I'm looking for, on top of obviously a big win, especially game two, I'll be in attendance. Guys, look out for your boy. Short schmuck, going to have the same black Mets hat on. I always have going to wear something you'll see me you'll be looking down more than likely five five for the most part so just look out for me over that i'll be exactly it's gonna be so it's gonna be so i can't wait to meet you it's gonna be like that what's the name of that movie with schwarzenegger and devito where they're brothers oh my god it's not that bad but dude dude you're like six four though right i'm six four yeah yeah yeah, it's gonna be fine yeah you know who i want to meet you know who i want to meet and shout out if, if you're still watching at the 57 minute mark um but our guy from uh our guy from the uk darren Darren, yeah, Darren. He's a Darren. he's a big dude, right? Or is Darren's he just, small, is he just but Darren isn't tall. You got height on Darren. Oh, he's not tall. Yeah, yeah. D- Darren's like uh, I don't know, like average height. But you, oh, okay. You I, I think because of how yoked he is, I thought he was also oh, yeah. Tall. He's absolutely shout out to Darren. I hope I hope he's listening. To this absolute scenes because I was gonna say a picture of like you in the middle of me and him would be hilarious. I know. I mean, 
let me put it this way. Every single time, most times I meet Mets fans at their surprise is maybe because they don't watch me enough because I, I really reiterate how small I am. <laughs> like I, I make it abundantly clear. Like don't expect anything less. So uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Again, Joe is going to be in attendance. We'll talk about it next pod, but briefly night, we'll be this Friday, August 12th. I'm planning to be there as well. So as long as I'm there, you guys will see on Twitter, our socials, us together. Joe will probably be leaning, having his freaking arm on top of my head. Regardless, we're going to get some nice photos and again, start to rekindle this relationship here because we haven't met each other in person yet. You know, Joe's in LA. I'm out here on the East Coast in Pennsylvania. Rec is in Jersey. We're all away right now. We're all separate, but we will all combine forces at some juncture. And it's going to be a lot of fun to meet up with you guys and do some fan stuff too. So stay tuned for that. But Joe, any final takeaways about this Reds preview before we wrap up episode eight, uh, episode 12, rather, of Believe in Queens? Yeah, man, I, I think you hit it all in the head. You know, look, just looking at the immediate matchup, right, as this episode comes out on Monday, Bassett's going. And this is a guy who, you know, I've taken issue with him at times this year. I've questioned his mental toughness. If one or two things, whether it's a call or maybe a mishap in the field, don't go his way. I've seen implosions happen, and I've called him out on it. Over his last eight starts, for the most part, he's been – Nothing shy of sensational. Two and a half ERA in his last eight starts uh, at home. His ERA is just a hair over three. It's about four and a four and a quarter, four two four on the road. The ironic thing is at home he's two and five compared to a six and two road record, despite having way better numbers at home. Like I said, the ERA is almost exactly three. Opponent average thirty points lower at home than on the road, just two ten. Opponent batting average better. Strikeout numbers at City Field. So. In my opinion, don't worry about the record. Bassett's hot right now. The team is winning when he pitches right now. I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he looks tomorrow night. Not that I'm expecting him to struggle with this Reds lineup, but I don't want him to just be good. I want him to dominate, and that's what I'm expecting out of Seabass. And that's what I'm expecting from this Mets team overall. Anything less, I'll be a little surprised. But again, we'll see what Bucks approach is in this three-game set against the Cincinnati Reds. But folks, that's going to do it for the show. Thank you so much to everyone that's watching here on YouTube on the Wordy NYM YouTube channel. Like I said already, make sure to smash that like and subscribe button. Greatly appreciate it. Make sure to let us know your thoughts in the comments below there. I'm always your biggest takeaway from today's pod and the Mets taking four or five from their rivals in the Atlanta Braves. And of course, if you're listening, wherever you get your podcast, make sure to rate, review, listen. We're only, again, 12 episodes into this one. We're doing a phenomenal job. Thanks to every single one of you amazing Mets viewers out there and listeners. Cannot begin to tell you guys how much we appreciate it. And of course, make sure to check me out on Twitter and socials at WordyNY. I'm the same thing as YouTube. Coming out with consistent content per usual post-game shows. Everything regarding the Mets, this is the place to be. And Joe, where can everyone find you, my man? Make sure you catch me on Instagram at Joe Serralo and on Twitter at the Joe Serralo. Catch my other show, Serralo Sports Talk. New episodes every week. Uh, most recent episode, a lot of baseball. Did a trade deadline roundtable recap with uh, MLB insider and diehard Met fan Casey Stern. So that was a blast. Um, but yeah, that's that's where to find me. And then find me Friday, August twelfth at City Field. Yeah, looks like you're going to more than likely find me there too. So we'll discuss some more in the next pod. But until then, thank you guys for listening and watching. I'm Tyler Ward. That's Joe Serralo. This was episode 12 of Believe in Queens. And we'll catch you guys all after the Red Series. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.